Well, good morning. This is the Lou Rockwell Show, and it's great to have as our guest this morning, Professor Peter Kuznick. Dr. Kuznick is professor of history at American uh, University in Washington. He was the founder and he's the director of the Nuclear Studies Institute at American University, uh, author of uh, many books, most famously outside of academia anyway, his participation in Oliver Stone's 10-episode uh, series on the secret history of the United States and co-author of the book that came out from that series. Both these things, I must say, extraordinary, uh, extraordinary work. Professor, you, you've been, you're, you're for the abolition of nuclear weapons, thank goodness. Uh, you've uh, devoted much of your life's work to uh, what happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki and trying to prevent other things like that from taking place. What do you what are you feeling about our you know the I know the bulletin of the atomic scientists seems to me they always have the the uh, the hand about to go to midnight. Yeah. Do you feel that's the case? Is what Trump is doing with Russia, or has been doing with Russia, a very a scary business? Uh, you know, it's interesting. Oliver Stone and I just put out the new edition of our Untold History book. Oh, magnificent! It just came out, and it's um, we added a hundred sixty page chapter on the the end of Obama and the Trump administration. And, and what we did is we looked at the way the world was at the end of 2012, when our first book came out. And that one was about 700 and more than 750 pages. The current one is over 900 pages. <laughs> wow. But in uh, late 2012, uh, the world was was pretty messed up. But the hands of the doomsday clock were at eight minutes before midnight. The big issue was America's missile defense systems. Uh, the tension between the U.S. and Russia was much, much less than it is now. The tension between the U.S. and China was much less. And so if you look at what's happened in the last six plus years, when we published our original book, when we came out with the new one, the world has gotten incredibly more hostile, more dangerous. Uh, we've gone from the doomsday clock being eight minutes before midnight to being two minutes before midnight. We've got Russia doing its biggest war games since the Cold War, the United States and NATO conducting their biggest war games since the Cold War. Tremendous tensions between the U.S. and Russia, worst relationship in decades, U.S. and China. Uh, the situation with uh, Iran is now again uh, facing a crisis. Uh, the Korean situation is certainly better than it was in late 2017, but is in no way resolved and again ready to blow up at any point. Uh, and, and not just the U.S. And, and Russia and China, but we've also got the problems between India and Pakistan, which again almost went to war. We're both bombing each other's countries again very, very recently. So the world is looking pretty shaky right now. So uh, for me, the number one priority is certainly the nuclear threat. I approach these things from the standpoint of the existential crises. And the major existential crises for life on our planet right now is still the threat of nuclear war, nuclear annihilation. But in the long run, we've also been threatened with uh, climate catastrophe. Uh, we can get into to that too. So, um, I, so I think the, the world right now is looking very, very bleak, the world situation. There is no leader and no leaders anywhere 
who are really speaking for the planet. You've got Trump talking about making America great again and Putin making Russia great again and Xi making China great again and Modi making India great again. I mean, you've got these pygmies at a time when we need some real global statesmen who are terribly lacking right now. And um, so, I, so I'm, I'm, I am very concerned. And the nuclear threat does keep me up at night. And you know, to, to uh, go back to something that you've devoted a lot of uh, uh, scholarly work to, uh, the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, do most Americans still think those were necessary, that those were actually good things when Truman did that? Well, you know, that's hard to determine. But the latest poll that I've seen was a poll a couple of years ago conducted by CBS News. And that had 43 percent saying the opposing the use of the atomic bombs oh. and 42 percent supporting it. Most of the surveys over the years have been something more in the range of uh, 55, 45 in favor of the bomb. But uh, this late, latest one was much more encouraging. We know that among women and among younger people, there's greater opposition to the use of the bomb. It's mostly the older Americans who continue to accept the mythology surrounding the bomb, which Obama uh, doubled down on when he went to Hiroshima. I'd been calling for Obama to go to Hiroshima since the time he got elected. And he finally, in May of 2016, decided to go. I was there also at that time. NHK, Japanese public television, brought me over there to do some shows and commentary while Obama was there. And Obama's, if you remember this speech, uh, his opening line was, death fell from the skies in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Death didn't fall from the skies. The United States dropped two <laughs> atomic bombs. Uh, yeah. But then he goes on and he says, we must look history straight in the eye. And he says, World War II reached its brutal end in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That's the prevailing myth. That's the myth that they've been doubling down on since 1945. The idea that the atomic bombs were terrible, but they were necessary in order to end the war without a U.S. invasion. Nonsense. The invasion was not going to happen. Uh, the, there wasn't even the atomic bombs that ended the war. It was a Soviet invasion of Manchuria and Japan, was or, or the beginning, the, the surrounding islands. Uh, and as Prime Minister Suzuki says, I think it was August 10th, when he was asked why we had, they had to surrender so quickly and end the war, he says the Russians, the Soviets are already in uh, Sakhalin, the Kuril Islands. They'll be in Hokkaido tomorrow. When that happens, the foundation of Japan will be destroyed. We must surrender when we can surrender to the Americans. Because uh, they knew that with the Americans, there was at least a chance that they would be able to keep the emperor. But the reality is that American policymakers had known that there were two ways to end the war without the bomb. The first was to ensure the Japanese that they could keep the emperor which we wanted to do anyway for our own purposes, although Jimmy Burns, Secretary of State, was opposed to that uh, and convinced Truman that he'd be politically crucified if he let the Japanese keep the emperor. Nobody complained when it finally happened, and we did let them keep the emperor. And secondly, we knew that the Soviet invasion was going to break the backs of the Japanese resistance. American intelligence had been saying that for months. 
say, as had the Japanese themselves in some of the intercepted cables. The Japanese Supreme War Council met September uh, on May 16th and said that invasion of Japan by the Soviet Union will spell the end of the Soviet, uh, spell the end of the Japanese empire. So we knew that. Truman knew that, in fact. Truman refers to the intercepted July 18th telegram as the telegram from the Jap emperor asking for peace. Truman says he went to Potsdam to make sure that the Soviets were coming in. And he meets with, with Stalin, has lunch with Stalin. Stalin assures him that the Soviets are coming in on time. And Truman writes in his journal, uh, Stalin will be in the Jap war by August 15th. Finny Japs when that occurs. He writes home to his wife, Bess, the next night and says the Russians are coming in, will end the war a year sooner now. Think of all the kids who won't be killed. I mean, Truman knew this. So the question for historians really is knowing that the bombs were militarily unnecessary and morally unjustifiable, why did the United States decide to use them? And the conclusion that I and others have drawn is that the tar real target was not Japan, the real target was the Soviet Union. We were saying to the Soviets, if you interfere with US plans in Europe or the Pacific, this is what you're gonna get and worse, much, much worse. Wow, and of course the, the uh, in effect, the, I mean, I remember the Chicago Tribune leaked this, that the Japanese were trying to surrender uh, if only they could keep the emperor and not, well, not have him tried as a war criminal and keep him. Uh, and which the U, as you point out, the U.S. eventually went along with that, and yet didn't refuse to accept their offer of surrender. So, and and, and yeah. Lou, one of the things that you probably know, but a lot of the listeners don't, is that the United States had eight five-star admirals and generals in 1945. Seven of the eight are on the record saying that the atomic bombs were either militarily unnecessary, morally reprehensible, or both. You know, Admiral Leahy, who chaired the meetings of the mm -hmm. Joint Chiefs of Staff, that was Truman's personal chief of staff, said this puts us on the moral level of the barbarians of the Dark Ages. And, and, but the Americans, you know, are, are one of our myths, is a, a key anchor in our sense of American exceptionalism is the idea that somehow this was a moral act because it prevented an invasion in which Truman says a half million American boys <laughs> would have been killed. Uh, you know, so it was not, and, and it was instrumental in starting the Cold War and uh, began the nuclear arms race. The scientists, many of them, uh, the Frank Committee at the University of Chicago Met Lab had, had argued against dropping the bomb, even if it would be militarily advantageous, they said, because it could lead to an uncontrollable arms race that could threaten the future of, of mankind. And that's what happened. We're lucky to have survived it. You know, we, you look at what's going on now. There are about 14,000 nuclear weapons left hmm. now, 93% uh, controlled by the US and Russia. But by the mid-80s, it had gotten close to 70,000. I take my students every summer to Hiroshima and Nagasaki at a study abroad class, and I would find myself year after year writing down the same statistic at the Atomic Bomb Museum in Hiroshima, that by 1985, the world had accumulated the equivalent of 1.47 million Hiroshima bombs. What was oh. the, 
how insane do we have to be? How many times do we have to be able to kill everybody on the planet before we're satisfied? It's really, it's, 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 an, it's, it's actually astounding. Is it just evil? Is it, uh, are they power mad? I mean, what, 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 do you have an explanation or is it just the nature of the state and the imperial state? What, what, what is it? I think all of the above, and there is a certain kind of, you know, uh, Freud in his wonderful, beautiful, but depressing 1929 book, Civilization and His Discontents, talks about the death instinct. I mean, there's a certain kind of, I mean, why as a species do we spend so much more perfecting the means of killing and destruction the lethality of our weapons than we do on trying to find peace and economic development and solving the world's problems. Why do we have a war department? Now we call it defense department and not a peace department. <laughs> I mean, why do we not spend any money and, or any effort or, you know, we put so much of our intelligence and resources devoted to perfecting the means of killing it, it. You know, it doesn't make any sense from a human standpoint uh, there's certainly profits to be made, and we understand, unfortunately, why those who were called the merchants of death after World War I, the arms merchants, the arms manufacturers, might want to profit from, from death. You know, every time one of those drones goes off, every time a bomb is dropped, every time we have military exercises, that's putting money into the pockets of some of the most ugly, greedy bastards on this planet. You know, I thought it was interesting just the other day when Trump was, I think, uh, giving an interview to Fox News where he said, uh, you know, there is such a thing as the military industrial complex. And in effect, I tried to uh, bring all the troops out of Syria and they wouldn't let me. Well, he's got the power. He, he could risk some of his capital on that. You know, Trump, Trump sometimes says intelligent things when it comes to the military and U.S. interventions and, and wars, but his actions are almost entirely the opposite. The huge military budget, the official oh. budget, what, six, $760 million, record-breaking, record-breaking arms sales across the planet by the United States, massive war games. You know, so Trump maybe somewhere in that pea brain of his understands this, but certainly has not acted in a responsible way as president. And, and why, why would he choose people like Pompeo and Bolton oh. to be his closest advisors? Yeah, it's quite, it's, it, I must say, it's, it's, it's quite astounding. I think we have to think that he uh, knows what he's doing or who, who knows. I, I suppose it's possible for people to be caught up in this stuff. And, or that he was just lying in his all his campaign promises, unlike, of course, other politicians. <laughs> but so, Trump doesn't lie. We know that. <laughs> so it's uh, it's an alarming business. And you mentioned war games. Uh, the Russians have their war games in their own territory. We have our war games right on their borders. Yes, right on the border. Which is uh, a very threatening business. So it's it's astounding. But I want to thank you so much for the work you do, for the students you teach for the truths you tell and, and uh, for the books you've written. And of course, the, we'll, we'll be sure to link to the new edition of yours and Oliver Stone's book. Great. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. And again, thanks for the work you do. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you, Lou, also. Take care. 
Well, thanks so much for listening to the Lou Rockwell Show today. Take a look at all the podcasts. There have been hundreds of them. There's a link on the LRC front page. Thank you. Thank you.